All right. Good morning, Ridge Point Church. Um, for those of you who are relatively new, uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the staff members here. I'm not normally the face you would see up here. But um, and, and I just need to go ahead and confess something to you right up front. Uh, I'm a bit of a nerd, okay? Uh, if, if, you know, if you know me, you already knew that. I didn't have to confess it. But uh, the story I'm about to tell you is going to give you a little sense of the nerdiness. Uh, in fact, uh, I was in the high school band growing up, not this kind of band, okay, because then I would have been cooler, okay, all right? No, the kind of band where, you know, you play all kinds of different instruments and wear those weird-looking uniforms and stuff like that. Uh, but anyway, in my high school, it actually wasn't that unusual to be a part of the band. Uh, we were probably a mid-sized high school, and we had probably over 300 people who were involved in our band program in some way or another, and the reason that, that people were involved was because of our band director. He was just a phenomenal guy. Uh, his name uh, was Mr. Sheldon. And just he had been there a few years before I got there. And he just built this tremendous program. And uh, we just we loved him, kind of worshipped him. I mean, you know, as much as high school kids worship their teacher, uh, we, we did that. Uh, and he was just phenomenally talented. Not only was he a phenomenal band director, but he was a composer as well. I mean, I remember we would go to um, we'd go to band competitions, and people would be playing his uh, music just as much as like John Philip Sousa. I mean, it, it was on that level. It was just phenomenal guy. And uh, he, like most teachers, he, you know, you kind of have this public persona that, you know, you, you kind of put forth. In fact, I, I would say this, you know, when I decided to go into teaching, he was one of the people that inspired me to do that. But he had, had kind of this, you know, you have the public teacher persona, but then you have some things that you kind of keep to yourself as well. You know, you have to have that private part of, of your life. And, but we knew a little bit about his private life, and that was this. He, he, the woman he was married to had MS. And, uh, I mean, so debilitating to the point there, it was surprising that she had lived as long as she had. I mean, they were in their early 40s at that time, and it, it was just surprising that she had lived as long as she had. And so we kind of, we knew that about him, and, you know, so there were things that occasionally we would hear more about that. But, um, between my sophomore and my junior year, uh, we kind of, you know, social media wasn't what it is today and, you know, word didn't spread very quickly. But I actually heard from one of my friends that during that summer, his wife passed away. Uh, it was toward the beginning of that summer. And so, you know, we kind of knew that going into the beginning of school. And right as school was getting started, and I don't remember if it had started or if it was just getting ready to start, something else happened. Uh, there was a, a tragedy at our school, and one of uh, the teachers that taught there suddenly died of a heart attack. And it was just, you know, it was such a shock, and it, it was a huge deal. I, I, didn't, I didn't know the teacher. I knew who he was. Uh, he was a senior teacher. I hadn't had him. But he was just one of those guys, again, just phenomenal teacher, had, had a great deal of influence. And he was really good friends with Mr. Sheldon. So we were the kind of the top concert band because this guy was so involved in our school. This top concert band was asked to play at his funeral. Now, how I became part of the top concert band is a whole other story. Just let, let's put it this way. 
I used to play the saxophone, and now in the top concert band, I played the oboe. And by play, that means I kind of faked moving my fingers, and occasionally I would blow through it. The noise that it made was not an oboe noise at all, okay? Um, but anyway, I was, I was part of this, this band, and, and, and the reason that I was part of it is another reason why I love this guy so much. So anyway, we're, we're at the funeral, and uh, in the, it was a pretty good-sized church. It probably uh, sat maybe 800 people, and it was packed uh, because this guy was so influential. It was just packed full. And, you know, they were sitting in the audience, you know, like you guys are, and they were facing the stage. And then we were on, we were in the choir loft. Uh, there, there was a choir loft, and so we were in this choir loft. And... <clears throat> So we were facing them, and then all the, you know, what was going on with the funeral was all happening between the two of us. And because I fake played the oboe, I sat on the very front row of the band and all the way to the left. And all the flute players, all the girl flute players, another reason I fake played the oboe, all the girl flute players were right here. And uh, all of a sudden, in the middle of this funeral, I realized that Mr. Sheldon has sat down not next to me, I think there was a seat in between us, but he's one seat over from me and facing the crowd. And so I realized that, but then, you know, like a little bit into the funeral, he becomes overwhelmed by his grief. I mean, he's just lost his good friend. It's been a couple months since he lost his wife. Um, and he, he's just overwhelmed with his grief, and he begins to sob. I mean, you know, that you know, your whole body is moving, sob. And, uh, you know, in all of my 16 years of emotional, you know, stability that I had as a 16-year-old, I'm going, what am I going to do? I mean, this guy is sitting right here, and he's obviously broken down here. He's broken because of what has happened. What can I do? I mean, I'm the only one in any proximity to be able to, to reach him. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm kind of processing that and, and thinking through that. And, of course, all of a sudden, the flute player next to me gives me one of these. Put your arm around him. Put your arm around him. Mm, okay. I don't think I'm going to do that, but, you know, it's a good idea. Somebody should do that. And uh, so I'm sitting there for, and pretty soon, she gives me another elbow. Put your arm around him. So I muster up whatever, you know, I can, and I reach out. And I, I didn't put my arm around him. I put my arm on his shoulder, probably. And at that point, it seemed like, you know, it seemed like I put it on there for like an eternity, you know. You're 16. It seems like you got all these people watching you. You're like, okay. Well, it was probably at the most five seconds. And all of a sudden, boom. My arm shoots back down into my lap, and I just sit there. And, you know, you, th- you think back to moments like that, and, you know, I cut myself some slack because I was 16, and, you know, um, I'm not, you know, even here we are 30-some years later, or however many years later it is now. I'm not that old. But uh, <clears throat> however many years later it is, you know, I don't know that I have that much more emotional stability that, you know, even then, I don't know I would have done that. But I, so I cut myself a little slack, but 
as I kind of process that and think through why I did what I did, uh, I think it boils down to one thing. I mean, I think the reason that I wasn't willing to comfort him or make that, that moment of connection with him was because of fear. It was because of fear. I was afraid of, what, what are all those 800 people sitting there? What are they going to think? You know, what, what are they going to think about what I did? What are they going to, you know, probably I should have been thinking about what, what did they think this idiot's doing up there right now with just reaching out and all of a sudden jerking their hand back. But it was fear. And if you think about it, you probably had a similar experience. You know, that um, maybe it was someone that you loved, that you, you, you're, you're having a conversation with someone you love and you end up lying to them because you're afraid or you fear that they're going to find out something about you that they don't know, that they're going to find out who you are. Or maybe it's, uh, maybe, you know, you're in a situation where you have the opportunity to make a connection with somebody new, maybe new at school, new at work, new at church. Uh, you have that opportunity to go up and meet that person and connect with them and, you know, maybe even possibly begin to build a relationship, but you're afraid of what they're going to think about you. You know, what are they going to think I look like? Or what, are, you know, are they going to think I'm overweight? Or am I, you know, all those insecurities start to well up in you. And so you're afraid to reach out. Or maybe it's, maybe it's in a, some kind of job opportunity, a business opportunity, where, you know, you have the opportunity to make, you know, network with someone or make a connection with someone or get a promotion. You have that opportunity, but again those insecurities well up and you feel like, you know, am I good enough? Am I, do I have enough talent to do this? Am I skilled enough? But then, you know, you decide you don't. And so you don't make that connection or you don't go for that promotion or whatever. And so we, we walk around with this fear. It, and, and I know that you probably feel that, you know, you, you probably think, well, yeah, one of those fits me. Well, they all fit me, okay? I mean, you know, if we really wanted someone good at relationships, we would have had JJ up here, okay? I mean, you know, here I am, you know, again, I haven't grown much in, since that 16-year-old, okay, emotionally. And so, you, you, I have those fears, and all of those things that I just gave you are things that, that I've done, those fears that I've had. And what I've discovered, and what I think we're going to discover today is this. That fear is the enemy of connection. Fear is the enemy of connection. If we're going to connect with someone else, fear is the enemy of that. In fact, I would take it a step further and say this, that fear is the enemy of relationship. That fear is the enemy of relationship. That when that fear wells up inside of us, it keeps us from connecting it keeps us from building relationships. Sometimes it even causes us to destroy relationships because we realize people are getting too close and they're going to discover who I am. And so that fear wells up and I begin to sabotage myself and I begin to destroy relationships. So if you're just joining us this Sunday for the first time, uh, we're in the middle or we're actually in week five of a series. It's a seven-week series called Transformed. And what we've been talking about is this idea that there are areas of our lives where we want to look at the health of that area 
so that we can ultimately be transformed. We can allow God to transform us in our lives. We talked about spiritual health. We've talked about physical health. We've talked about mental health. Last week, we talked about emotional health. And you probably notice that all of these are very interconnected with each other, okay? But they're, they're in a really good order because, to me, as we talk about today's topic, this topic of relational health, that it's very closely tied to what we talked about last week, that idea of emotional health, because fear is an emotion, and it's an emotion that when we take it too far, we allow it to get the best of it, of us, it becomes the enemy of us connecting with others, it becomes the enemy of us building relationships with others. And so if we're going to talk about later on this week, if you're involved in a group and and you've been watching the videos and everything, he's going to give us a lot of great tips about how to build great relationships. But to me, we had to start with what are we doing wrong in them first? What are we messing up first? Okay, And that's why I'm the expert on this particular thing, because I know how to mess them up, okay? I know how to not initiate them, okay? Because I allow that fear to get the best of me. So, now, this fear is not something new, okay? It's not something that all of a sudden has shown up in our relationships and, you know, our relationships are getting worse because we're all walking around with all of this fear in our lives. This fear has been with us for a long time. It's been with us since the beginning, really, of humanity. In fact, the story that we're going to look at, the the scripture that we're going to look at today, is actually, we're going to go back and look at the story of creation. Because this is, the story of the fall, is the story of fear entering our lives and causing us to disconnect from other people. So, if you've got your Bible, uh, you can turn to Genesis 3. Uh, If you don't have it, the verses are going to be up here on the screen in just a couple of minutes. But I want to give you a little context, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to read straight through the story, and then we're going to go back and make some observations about this particular story, some things that I think that we can discover about this fear that we have, okay? So just to give you a little context, this is, you know, here we are, Genesis 3. God's created the heavens and the earth. Um, and he's created Adam and Eve, and, you know, whether you, you know, maybe this church thing is kind of all new to you, and you're not sure about that whole story, I, that's okay, that's fine, okay? I think we can still learn a lot from the story, whether you, you know, totally agree with that's how it happened or not. I personally believe that's how it happened, that it happened literally in seven days. But anyway, in the midst of this story, God's created Adam and Eve, and we're going to kind of pick up right there. Now, When God creates Adam and Eve, he puts them in the Garden of Eden, and he gives them the run of the garden. He says, you you have control over all of this except for one tree. There's one tree. I don't want you to touch. I don't want you to eat from it. I don't stay away from it. Okay? You got the run of everything else. You have control over all this other stuff except for this one tree. And what's interesting is, and, and we don't get like a picture of how long this lasted, but there's a period of time between when God created Adam and Eve and this particular story where they have the perfect relationship, okay? 
This is the only perfect human relationship that we know of because sin hadn't entered the world. Now, I don't know how long that period of time was. It doesn't say in Scripture. It could have been weeks. It could have been months. I have a feeling because they were human, it was like a day and a half. Okay? All right? So, so anyway, we're going to pick up in the middle of the story. Um, in fact, we're going to start uh, Genesis 3. We're going to start in the middle of verse 6. The middle of verse 6. It says this. So she, Eve, took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. So she gave some to Adam. He eats it too. Verse 7. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame. Remember that word, shame. Shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Verse 8, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. Okay, that always floors me, you know, that God was just walking around there in the garden with them. Okay, verse 9, then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? By the way, when God asks a question, he already knows the answer. Okay, he already knows the answer. God says, where are you? Verse 10, he replied, Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Verse 11, God says, who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Verse 12, the man replied, it was the woman, good old man, you know. (laughs) It wasn't me, it was her. She did it, okay? She did it. Man replied, it was the woman, and not only did he blame Eve, but then he blames God. He says, it was the woman who you gave me, who you gave me, okay? It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. And then verse 13, Eve, you know, she lives up to good old humans too. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And she lays blame too. The serpent deceived me. She replied, that's why I ate it. Now, I think this story gives us a little insight into this fear that we have, this fear that is the enemy of connection, this fear that is the enemy of us building relationships and having long-lasting relationships. And in fact, if you've got your journal with you and you want to jot these down, I think this would be helpful to you. Um, You know, if you want to jot it down on something else, that's fine. But three things that I think we can learn about fear from this passage. The first one is this. Fear makes us distant. Fear makes us distant. In fact, I think it makes us distant from two different people. Okay? It makes us, first of all, distant from God. All right? We see that in verse 10. It says, he replied, Adam replied, or, um, Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. So Adam is afraid, and he distances himself from God. And that's, if you think about it, we do that. We allow fear to distance ourselves from God. Not that we can get away from him. Remember, he knows the answer to that question that he's already asked. But we try our best to get away from him because of Maybe something that we've done 
or maybe something, something that we haven't done and, and, and we feel, you know, whatever we feel about that, we begin to fear God and so we try to run from him. We distance ourselves from him. We do, all, we think, do things purposefully to distance ourselves from him. The cool thing is God doesn't let us go. In fact, he usually chases us down and horse collars us and drags us back, okay? He does that for us. But fear allows us or fear distances us from God. But then I think the thing, and and I think, you know, for our purposes today, the other person that it distances, that fear distances us from is others. Fear you know, we allow fear to distance ourselves from other people, okay? Because we're worried about what they're going to think or we're worried about the consequences of, you know, if I reach out to them, if I try to comfort them, if I put my arm around him, what are the consequences of that? I fear those consequences. And so I allow fear to be the enemy of connection or I allow fear to be the enemy in my relationships, So fear makes us distant from God, but it also makes us distant from others. Now, in this particular story, we don't necessarily see that. But if you jump ahead, we don't have time to look at it today. But if you jump ahead one chapter, you can see where fear distances us from others. It's the story of Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's sons, who, you know, Cain gets jealous of Abel and ends up killing him. It's because of that fear, that fear that I didn't live up, my sacrifice didn't live up to God's expectations. And so I'm going to take it out on my brother. So we see that fear distances us from others as well. I think the second thing that we see in this passage is that fear makes us defensive. Fear makes us defensive. So fear makes us distant. Fear also makes us defensive. And if you look at verses 12 and 13, I see, this is where I see this. It says, verse 12, the man replied, it was the woman who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Okay, Adam immediately gets defensive. He says, instead of taking the blame, instead of saying, I did it, he blames it on Eve. He gets defensive. And then ultimately he blames it on God and says, the woman that you gave me. And then Eve does the same thing. She gets defensive. She says, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So fear makes us distant. Fear makes us defensive. And then the last one is fear makes us demanding. Fear makes us demanding. Now, this is one of those that's a little hard to see in this passage, but go back to what I said earlier, kind of setting the context of this story. God had given them the Garden of Eden, had set them, kind of put them out there and said, you have control over this garden. You, you do your thing, except for this one tree. Ultimately, when they ate from that tree, it was about control. I mean, when Satan came and, and, and tempted Eve, he said, look, God's done all this stuff, but here's the one thing that he hasn't done for you. You want a little more control? You want to be like God? You want to know like God? eat of this fruit. And so ultimately their decision to do that was a decision of control. But here's what happens. Because of that decision, they lose control. 
I mean, God's about to, we keep reading in the story, God's about to put him out of the Garden of Eden. He tells Eve, look, you're going to have pain in your pregnancies, and and all women after you are going to have pain in their pregnancies because of this decision. Adam, you're going to farm the land. You're going to go and you're going to try to grow crops, and it's going to be hard work. You're going to have thorns and thistles, and, and the soil is going to be hard, and it's going to be hard work because of this decision. So, they lose control. In an attempt to gain control, they lose control. And ever since then, we've been trying to get it back. We've been demanding it back. We do, think about your life. Think about the things when, from you wake up in the morning till you, go bed, till you go to bed at night. It's about us trying to maintain some semblance of control in our lives. And we're demanding that control because we're afraid. We fear what will happen if things get out of control. If I don't have a handle on this, what's going to happen? So fear also makes us demanding. Now, hopefully at this point, you can see what the point I'm trying to make. That this fear is so, so destructive to our relationships. It is the enemy of connection, and it's the enemy of our relationships. So what's the answer? What, what, what's the opposite? How do we get beyond this? Now, before we get there, I, I want to pause for just a second, because you know I, I mentioned this earlier. We were talking about the, the creation story, but I want to say it again. I know a lot of you, because we've created and built this church the way, way that we have, we encourage people to come who maybe don't totally buy into to, to what we're selling, okay? Uh, maybe you're, you're trying out this Jesus thing. You're not sure about Jesus, but you know what? You like the music. You come, you hang out. Your friends invited you. They told you they buy you lunch, but you're just checking things out, and so you're not sure about this, okay? You're not sure about that story of Adam and Eve, okay? What's interesting is when I was studying and, and kind of preparing for this, I actually found a researcher who talks about a, actually she's a, a social worker who does research. In fact, she calls herself a shame researcher. So she would say, instead of saying fear is the enemy of connection, she would actually say this, that shame is the enemy of connection. And we saw that word in, in a couple of the passages that we looked at today. But she does research in these area, this, this area of shame. She's interviewed people and talked to people and all of this stuff. And she's found in her research what we just saw in this passage. That shame causes friction. It causes disconnection. And <clears throat> that ultimately it is a destroyer of relationships. Now... She would say that the answer or the antidote to shame in all of her research, by the way, her name is Brene Brown, if, if you're interested. Um, she would say that the antidote to shame is vulnerability. That when we become vulnerable and when we become open with the people around us, that, that we push past that shame and we can begin to build relationships. And I understand her argument, but I would say this. The antidote to our fear is actually a form of vulnerability or actually the ultimate form of vulnerability and that the antidote is love. So fear is the antidote, I'm sorry, 
Love is the antidote to our fear, okay? That is the antidote to this fear that we have, that we have to get, we have to, we've been commanded by God as believers, we've been commanded by God to love each other, to take care of each other. And so we have to get grounded in that love and push past that fear. So how do we do that? How do we do that? In fact, well, before we get into the how, let me say this, and, and I, think, I think this is important for us to see. In fact, Scripture tells us that the antidote to fear is love. In 1 John 4.18, 1 John 4.18, it says this, Where God's love is, there is no fear, because God's perfect love drives out fear. It is punishment that makes a person fear, so love is not made perfect in the person who fears. So let's look at the first statement first. Where God's love is, there is no fear because God's perfect love drives out fear. So if we're going to, if we're going to get rid of this fear that we have, this fear that's causing all kinds of problems in our relationships, that we have to start with God's love, that we have to let God's love infiltrate us and consume us, Okay. We're going to look at another passage in just a minute that I think is a key to doing that, all right? But notice the second part of that statement. The second statement says, It is punishment that makes a person fear, so love is not made perfect in the person who fears. What that's saying is this. It's saying that the reason you have that fear in your life, the reason that you're allowing that fear to consume you is twofold. First of all, you're afraid of the consequences, okay? You're afraid the person's not going to like you. You're afraid the person's going to find out who you are. You're afraid that you don't have enough talent, that you don't have enough skills. You're afraid of the consequences, or the word that's used there is punishment. That's what's allowing you, what, why you're being paralyzed and why you're not making those connections. But notice the other thing. It's not just because of your, uh, you're afraid of those consequences, it's because you're focused on yourself. You're focused on yourself. Those consequences cause you, or that fear causes you to focus on yourself. I'm not good enough. I'm not, you know, cool enough. I'm not, I'm not talented enough. You're focused on yourself. So I think the answer to allowing love to drive out that fear is twofold. I think there's two parts to the way that we do that. First of all, again, if you want to write this down, is surrender our heart and our love to God. The first thing that we have to do to get past that fear and get to this love is we have to surrender our heart and our love to God. In fact, uh, in Job 11, starting in verse 13, it says this, Surrender your heart to God and turn to him in prayer. And give up your sins, even those you do in secret. So surrender your heart to God. Turn to him in prayer. And give up your sins, even those you do in secret. I mean, ultimately, the key to that fear, part of what's driving that fear, or not part of, what is driving that fear is our sin. Our sin. So surrender your heart to God, turn to him in prayer, and give up your sins, even the ones you do in secret. Because ultimately, remember, that's part of, that's what's going on there. 
They're going to find out who I am. They're going to find out I did this. Then you won't be ashamed. You will be confident and fearless. Verse 16, your troubles will go away like water beneath a bridge. 17, and your darkest night will be brighter than noon. You will rest safe and secure, filled with hope and emptied of worry. You will sleep without fear and be greatly respected. So to get to that love, to get rid of that fear and get to that love, first we have to surrender our heart and our love to God. But then, just like we said, fear distances us from God and distances us from others. The other thing we have to do is we have to surrender our heart and our love to others. So we start with God. We got to start with God, okay? Because here's the thing. Uh, I don't know if you, you paid attention to what Jenny was saying about that song called Loyal. Basically, what she's talking about is that ultimately, the kind of love that we're looking for, there's no guarantee that other people are going to give that to you. There's no guarantee, okay? I mean, we want to believe that they're going to, and ultimately part of our, our, um, part of our fear is that they're not going to get to us. So I'm not standing up here and saying that when you give that love to others that you're going to get it back from them, okay? There's no guarantee. But there is a guarantee from God, okay? He is loyal. He is, our, he is going to love us. He is going to return that love that we give. That's the guarantee that we have. So we have to start with God's love. We have to allow God's love to consume us first. Then we can turn and allow our love. We can turn and surrender our heart and our love to others. And the passage here is actually Philippians 2 Starting in verse 3, I love this passage because the example here, we're seeing this example of turning our heart towards others, but the example that's given here is the example of Jesus who turns his heart toward us. It says this, verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, gave up part of himself by taking the form of a servant. Some, some, um, some uh, translations say bondservant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, when we allow, we surrender our heart and our love to God and allow God's love to consume us and take that fear away from us, then we can turn around and we can surrender our heart and our love to others. Again, no guarantees there, but because we've got God's love, because we have that guarantee then we can begin to push that fear away and we begin to turn toward others and give our heart and our love to them. We can put them first. We can make those connections. We can, instead of telling that lie because that person's gonna find out about whatever it is about us, then we can tell the truth and let them know, this is really who I am. Or we can reach out to that person that we don't know and make that connection and build that relationship that... that 
we were afraid, we were originally afraid to initiate. It changes the way that we approach those around us. Because if fear is the enemy of connection and fear is the enemy of relationship, then love is its friend. Love is the friend of connection. Love is the friend of relationship. That's what's going to allow us to push through. You know, going back to the story I told earlier, that year, that school year progressed, and at the end of that school year, they actually called all the band together. Like, it was during school. I mean, I remember it being a really big deal. They, they called us all to the band room, and we weren't really sure why we were there or whatever. And we come together, and Mr. Sheldon tells us, listen, you know, this has been, you guys know this, this has been a tough year for me. Uh, I've been through a lot um, going back to the beginning of the year. And I think it's just time that, you know, it's time in my life and in my career to move on to something else. And, and I, I think about that moment, and, you know, I'm not saying that if I had reached out and hugged him or whatever, that that would have changed. That wouldn't have changed, okay? But I missed, I missed out on an opportunity that, who knows, you know, years later, we might still have that connection or that relationship or whatever, even though it was a student-teacher thing, we would still have that connection. If I had just taken the minute to get past that fear and in that moment show him love and allow that connection to build. Now, I'm not saying it was going to be anything different than it ever was. But think about all of those opportunities that we have where we allow fear to get the best of us. Relationships that fell apart. Relationships that were damaged because we lied. Um, Relationships that never happened because we didn't reach out. Because we've allowed fear to become the enemy of connection. Let's let love become its friend. Let's pray. God, um, <clears throat> thank you for the opportunity to, to, to talk about this idea that, um, that we're walking around and we're allowing fear. And ultimately, uh, it, it's the sin that, that pervades our lives that allows this fear into our hearts, that allows us to think we're not good enough, we're not... Um, worthy enough that we're not um, that we don't have anything to give to others and ultimately we have those things because of Jesus I mean when we feel worth and we feel um, we get past shame and we get past that fear it's because of Jesus but I pray today that you would allow us to allow that love to pervade our lives first of all love for you God that God Uh, we get beyond that fear because, God, we know that you guarantee that you're going to love us no matter what. That when we pour out our hearts to you, God, that you're there and you're going to be there. And so, God, I, I pray that you would allow that to pervade our lives. And then, God, also that we'd be able to turn that love out toward others, that we'd be able to make those connections and build those relationships. God, Ultimately, because, God, you've given us 
what we need to make those connections, that you've given us the love that pervades our lives that we can pour out toward others. God, defeat that fear and give us that love. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.